Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 7. Welcome back to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. This episode is the fourth step to wealth. So what you're going to learn in this show is what a money engine is, what the secret ingredient is to create wealth. You'll learn to look forward at where we're going and not in the rearview mirror when choosing investments. Our last show's we learned the other three steps to wealth. First, create a wealthy mindset because how you think is so important to your wealth building. Second, save a nest egg because you need money, capital, to get started with your wealth building. And the third step was find a mentor, someone that can shorten the path and that has done what you would like to accomplish. The fourth step to wealth, this is kind of a fun step. And this is a very large step that incorporates probably a lot of smaller steps as well. But the fourth step is to invest in a money engine. A money engine. A money engine is simply something that grows your wealth. So it's the vehicle that you're going to invest in that's going to compound and create wealth for you. It can be investments like stocks, bonds, commodities, real estate. It can be your own business. It can be a lot of different things, but it's what you choose that's going to grow your wealth. Of course, you don't have to choose just one. You can have a combination as well, which is why I talk about the twin pillars of wealth building, which is really to get your wealth building going, is to have a money engine, invest like billionaires in the latest cycle in a money engine, and to have a luxury brand business, both. But you can have one or the other or whatever you like. It's up to you. It's up to you and what your goals are in terms of how much wealth building you want to do, how much time you have to devote to it, your expertise, etc. So there's a lot of different things to consider when you're thinking about wealth building. But a money engine is that investment that's going to generously compound your money in order to create wealth for you. So a money engine, I I use the term money engine because to me, that's what this is. It's sort of your workhorse. It's sort of that, you know, I kind of see a train, you know, and you can put whatever you want. Remember the toy trains where you could put whatever you want in the back of the train and then it would haul it around. So a money engine is sort of like that. You can put your money into this train and it's going to take it to the destination for you. So it can be any type of different investment. There's no right investment. There's many different types of vehicles that can get you to wealth. And you may know people that have made wealth from different things. Um, You know, some from a business, some from real estate, some from stocks, etc. 
there's no one right way. It's sort of like saying if you want to go from Los Angeles to New York, there's no one right way to do it. Certainly a plane will get you there the fastest, but you could drive, you could take an RV, you could drive a motorcycle, you could ride a bike. I mean, there's all different, you could walk. I mean, there's all different ways to get there. There's all different forms of transportation. So the money engine that you choose is going to determine how fast you get to your destination. So there's all different kinds of things and ramifications that come into that. And I'm oversimplifying this, but you can see that the speed with which you will arrive depends on the vehicle that you choose and how fast it's traveling, or in this case, how fast it's growing or compounding. So another interesting thing about money engines is that you know, when I was in the financial world, we talked about diversification all of the time. And what was interesting to me that was different when I was reading from my mentors about investing was they weren't diversified. Far from it. In fact, they were concentrated in specific investments. So if they were building their wealth in real estate, they were 100% real estate. If they were building their wealth in a tech company, you know, they had most of their assets in the technology company. Uh, so it was really interesting because coming from my formal training, becoming a certified financial planner, being in the financial world and telling people to diversify all the time, yet what I was seeing was the way wealth was actually built was not through diversification. And what I mean by that is there is a time to diversify and the time to diversify is after you've already created wealth. But while you're building wealth, most people who are building wealth, if you look at the Forbes list of 400 wealthiest people, most of those people are concentrated in their particular company, business, uh, investment, whatever. They aren't typically diversified until later. It's kind of like when Bill Gates made his fortune with Microsoft stock. He kept the stock for a long, long time. And then once he was the world's richest man, then he talked about selling off some shares and diversifying. And he had a plan that went into place that would actually sell shares on a fixed regular basis to diversify him. But until that time, he was pretty much all in on Microsoft stock. He was pretty much 100%. So that's you know, one of the differences I have with the traditional investment world, I understand they want to minimize your risk and tell you to, to be diversified. I get that. And I get that you don't want to lose your money. I understand. But I also know that for wealth building, most of the people that I've seen become wealthy were actually concentrated in a particular money engine. Even Andrew Carnegie, one of the wealthiest men ever in history, said, put your eggs, put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. Put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. Interesting that he felt you should concentrate your money in one area. Uh, but that's not unusual for wealthy people. That's quite often how it's done. And once you've built wealth, then it's time to diversify and protect your wealth, which are future steps in the six steps to wealth that we will be talking about. But while I would love reading the Forbes 400 richest episode, you know, their um, issues, magazine issues, I noticed that 
there were some interesting things happening because here it is a study of the richest people and how they got that way. And so what I would see is that there definitely was a cycle that they were in that typically more millionaires and billionaires would come from this particular cycle that was a money engine that was doing the best. So for example, I remember, you know, in the seventies and eighties, it was millionaires and billionaires from the oil industry, from owning precious metals, from commodities, farms, and agriculture. I remember, you know, in the 80s and 90s, early 90s, it was more like commercial real estate, like shopping centers. And then, of course, in the 90s, it was more stocks and internet and technology stocks. And then, of course, from 99 till about 2007, it was residential real estate and housing and home builders. And during this time, you also saw a trend where certain people were wealthy based on the country that they lived in. I mean, there was a time where people in Japan were leading with their wealth in the 80s because the Japanese stock market had skyrocketed for so many years and Japanese real estate had gone up and the whole economy was going crazy over there. And, you know, certainly we've seen China be a, um, a real successful place uh, lately in the last decade to invest. And so it's sort of like a rising tide lifts all boats where if you find a money engine that's in the favored cycle, that cycle that's happening at the current time, if you're in the right one, sort of that rising tide lifts all boats. You know, when the housing market was going up, it didn't really matter where you bought a house. Uh, You know, some people bought them in the areas that were going up the most, maybe Las Vegas or Miami or uh, Southern California, etc., Arizona, but also pretty much around the country, real estate was going up. So you have a rising tide lift all boats where that current cycle is going to lift a lot of companies and lift a lot of uh, investments in that right area. So for example, during the tech bubble, you know, technology companies were typically increasing in value and certainly internet companies that didn't have any earnings, no profits, no earnings, seemed to all be going up as soon as they went public, as soon as they became publicly available for their shares to be bought, they were going up and skyrocketing in value. So it's sort of like this rising tide lifts all boats has to do with cycles and what's in favor. And being in the right place at the right time is about this cycle and understanding this is what billionaires really get is that there is a time when certain investments do well and they come into favor they they come from out of favor into favor and into a bubble situation and peak and then move out of favor again so it's sort of it's almost like an s curve and that's something to pay attention to that certainly can help you with your wealth building to understand that most investments don't go up forever they go up in a cycle in a cyclical kind of a way and again we just saw that with real estate with the bubble popping around 2008 we saw that real estate doesn't continue to go up forever it basically had a very sharp pullback and 
you know, we're going to talk about what has happened since then and why real estate's recovered, but that bubble won't go on forever. It won't go on forever. And when you think that something, one investment will continue on forever, usually that's near the peak of a bubble. So the problem is most people don't identify that there are peaks and there are times when investments are peaking out. And that's something that's really important to pay attention to. You know, back in the day when the internet was going crazy, I remember being in the financial world and a young man in his 20s worked for an internet company and his shares of stock became worth about $7 million. And I remember I was in the office with his financial advisor and I was representing a money manager and we were talking about potential ways to diversify his wealth because we felt to protect his wealth, it would be timely to diversify. Well, since he had concentrated and built his wealth through concentration and made his money by being in this one company's stock, it was hard for him to think about diversification. It was hard for him to think that maybe this company wouldn't continue to go up at the dramatically um, high rate that it had been increasing each year. Maybe it couldn't continue to rise at 30% or 50% or 100% or whatever rate it was growing at, but he couldn't see it. And, you know, at that time, it was clear to me because I knew the steps to wealth that yes, he concentrated and yes, he built wealth. And should he want to keep his wealth, this was the time to diversify. This was the time to think about selling some of that and buying some other things that would protect his wealth. Well, he wouldn't hear of it. So he said no to diversification. He said, and I, and I understand his thinking. He said, how can I sell this investment when it's been such an incredible investment. How can I possibly sell it? And uh, so he held on to it and unfortunately was impacted by the dot-com bust and lost almost all of it. I mean, I think he had a few hundred thousand left at the end, but basically could have been set for life and lost almost all of his money. So it's important to really understand there's a time to be concentrating and building wealth and there's a time to be diversifying and protecting wealth. And um, you also want to keep an eye on, are you close to the peak of a bubble? Because if you are, then that is a, a splendid time to think about diversifying and protecting your wealth. So one thing that I also disagree with the traditional financial world about is when you're determining where to invest, uh, they teach to invest by looking in the rear view mirror. And by that, I mean, it's always about finding this great track record for the last 10 or 20 years. You know, what investment has done well? Well, the problem with that is that because money moves in cycles, the cycle doesn't last forever. And so when you have seen a 10 or 20 year cycle, often cycles can run sometimes 20 years, sometimes 10 years, sometimes 30 years, but you can, there are signs of peaks and you can tell when you're close to the peak of a bubble, as I've covered in an earlier uh, episode, I think that was episode two. Um, you want to really look at, you know, 
are you looking forward or are you looking in the rearview mirror? Now, I understand you want to have a good track record. You want to find a good money manager. You want to find an investment that's done well. I get that. But I also get that you have to understand why it's done well. And this is where people really, really get into trouble. And even financial advisors get into trouble here because they don't look at why the investment did well for that particular time period. So for example, back again in the internet bubble, uh, a particular technology fund had done very well and the year of the peak, the year, the full year prior to the peak, because the peak was the first quarter of, it was March 2000, but the full year prior to that was 1999. At the end of 1999, this particular technology fund had increased 100% and it had taken in, uh, it had taken in approximately $1 billion of new money right at the peak. And so of course people were looking at the track record saying, wow, it was up 100% last year. So they were diving in, looking in the rearview mirror, saying, I'm buying this fund, hoping that it goes up another 100% next year. Well, of course, it actually was the peak of the bubble. Record sales and that many assets coming in right at the top are one of the signs of the peak of the bubble. And unfortunately, over the next three years, that fund went down 75%. So the people that bought in right at the top lost 75% of their money. And what's difficult to understand is they were doing what they were taught to do. They were taught to look in the rearview mirror. They were taught to look at a past track record. But you have to look at why has the investment performed that well? And how likely is it that going forward that performance will continue? Let me give you a timely example that I'm very concerned about right now with many people, and that is an investment in bonds or bond funds. Bonds are debt instruments where corporations or municipalities or the federal government borrow and pay you back with interest. But the thing about bonds is that the value of the bond rises when interest rates decline. It has an inverse relationship to interest rates. Well, remember we talked about interest rates having been in a 30-year cycle and the fact that they peaked in 1982 and they've been coming down for roughly 30 years until 2012. And now the Fed is holding interest rates down, so they haven't moved up a whole lot, but they actually, I believe, will begin to move up over the next several years and as we move into a 30-year cycle of them rising. So here we have these fantastic track records for bonds and bond funds. We have double-digit returns. We have amazing long-term 10, 20-year records of these amazing returns. And people are saying, wow, I want to buy this because it has 20 years of double digit returns or 20 years of, you know, amazing returns and, and bonds don't have as much risk as stocks, quote unquote. 
Okay, so they're thinking they're buying a lower risk asset and they think that they are buying something that will have a great growth going forward. You know, they're looking at hopefully double digits going forward. But here's the deal. Why did those bonds have double digit returns? Because interest rates were going down. Okay, if rates are at roughly zero or very low here historically, which way are rates going to go in the future? They're going to go up. What happens to bond values when rates go up? Bond valuations go down. They work inversely. So you could have potentially, if we have the 30-year cycle hold true, you could have a 30-year cycle where bonds lose value as interest rates increase over the next 30 years. And so looking at the past track record in order to make your investment selection is absolutely not the correct way to go because you could not possibly duplicate the returns that you had in those bonds the last 30 years because interest rates have declined down to nothing and that can't possibly happen again. They're already at nothing. So if they've gone down, which made bond valuations go up, that cannot possibly be duplicated. It's impossible. So therefore, it's impossible that the past track record on these bonds is going to be the same in the future. So you have to understand why and how did it get the track record that it did in the past? Can that be duplicated in the future? No, it can't for bonds. And in fact, it makes me very nervous for people who might be buying bonds thinking that they're low risk and great performers and very steady and stable. And then we have a rising interest rate cycle and oh heck, <laughs> there goes a whole bunch of the value going down because interest rates unexpectedly start to rise. So it's really important that you don't just invest by looking in the rear view mirror. It's really important that you invest by looking forward look to the future. Where are we now? What's coming up? What's the cycle that's going to perform the best? Where are interest rates? You know, where's inflation? These are the kinds of things that you want to be looking at and making investment decisions and choosing your money engine from there. So you want to be aware of the why something performed the way it did. And real estate may be the same way because real estate performs well when interest rates come down. It also performs well based on demographics and also supply and demand. Well, you know, there's a lot that's changed with real estate. We have interest rates being held almost to zero by the Federal Reserve, which has helped prop up the prices of real estate. Although there's a lot more supply because a lot of new homes were built recently, and there's more supply because people wanted to buy one, two, three multiple homes, are now not wanting to own multiple homes. So we have less demand and more supply, which is not good for prices to uh, be staying high. So if interest rates rise, people may have to reduce prices so that people can afford the payment in order to buy the home. So we could see a similar situation with real estate going forward. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying you can look at the future Look at cycles, look at interest rates, look at supply and demand, look at trends, look at demographics. We had baby boomers who were raising children who are now aging 
and moving into assisted living, um, dying, uh, not wanting to own multiple homes, etc. So these are things that we need to look at and look at those things going forward and not just in the rear view mirror. So where could you invest now to take advantage of these trends? Well, again, you want to look at where the market is likely to go, not where we've been. And we've had cycles like gold going up very well in the 70s, oil in the 80s, stocks in the 90s, real estate in the 2000s. And typically the next cycle comes from something that's been out of favor for a long time and then starts to pick up again as our business cycle changes over time because our business cycle is also made up of inflation and interest rates and the growth of the gross national product. So we're looking at what cycle are we in in the growth of the business cycle. Um, there's also the presidential cycle, which is a four-year cycle, which, you know, every year a president gets uh, back elected into office, there is a cycle that starts. And typically the fourth year of their presidency is the best year. And the second year is typically the worst year. And so there's a cycle to look there as well. So there's many different things to look at. And we're going to be exploring that over our next episodes. We're not going to go into a lot of detail right now, but we are going to be exploring what are the different money engines for you to look at? What are some of the opportunities that are out there? And, you know, why should you be looking at certain opportunities? Historically, most millionaires made their money, their wealth in having their own business. And to build wealth quickly, you want to have whatever investment you choose, have a high return on investment. So it's that nest egg that we talked about you starting in step two and choosing the right money engine for your nest egg that will propel you to wealth. So again, some are going to get you there faster than others. It just depends on what your particular method is going to be. And so it's really important for you to consider these things, to look at why a, an investment has done well in the past and can that be sustained going forward. In most cases, it cannot be sustained and you need to really look at that. Also, the next cycle is usually something that's sort of uh, under the radar that not everyone's talking about, not everyone's seeing and kind of the early adopters see and then as it gets closer to its peak, then the masses begin to see and it becomes very obvious and everyone uh, starts to realize that this is the cycle for this particular investment. Everybody jumps in and then it becomes a peak and it the bubble pops and we start all over again. So once you kind of understand how these cycles repeat and how things move and how money moves in cycles, hopefully that's going to really help you build more wealth and help you with your money engines and help you grow your money so you can have financial freedom. So those are the main things I wanted to talk about today. What a money engine is, that thing that grows your wealth, that there's no one right answer, that there are many different things you can choose. It's just, you know, how much time it's going to take you to get there based on what it is that you choose and whether it's currently in the cycle or whether it's out of favor and to really look forward and not in the rearview mirror because 
looking forward is going to tell you so much more. Looking in the rearview mirror can only tell you why it did well in the past. It can't tell you that it's going to continue to do well in the future. To know that, you need to look at the cycle and the steps and the business cycle and interest rates and inflation and growth and all those things that we talked about. You need to, to really review all of those things to look forward and not just in the rearview mirror at the track record. If you just learn that one thing, you will be so far ahead in your investing and so far uh, thinking more like a billionaire than like a millionaire. So that's kind of an exciting thing. Your action step for this episode is to start gathering information about your money engine and pay attention to what it may do well into the future. Think about why would it perform well and why wouldn't it perform well and write that in your wealth journal. Why would this particular money engine you're thinking of be the correct one for your wealth building? And if you have more than one money engine, write that in your wealth journal too. So those are the things to think about in regard to growing your wealth. And I really hope that I've gotten you to think in a new way, in a different way, and got you to think that traditional wealth building has its place and there are rules there for a reason, but they're not always the, the way that you're going to build the most wealth. And what I'm trying to show you is how does wealth really grow and what is the shortest path to wealth. So I'm giving you all of the steps so that you can really plug them in and think about in your situation, what might work for you and what doesn't work for you. And maybe just have a fresh way of thinking because there's no one right way to invest. There's no one road from LA to New York. There's lots of different paths, lots of different methods, and it's up to you to decide what your expertise, what your experience, what your interest is that is going to be the right money engine for you. So if you're eager to start on the first step to wealth, your wealthy mindset, go on over to my website, bewealthyandsmart.com and sign up for 21 days to a wealth mindset. I've created daily emails with videos, audios, and information that can help you change your thinking from lack to wealth in 21 days. How you think is the foundation for everything else that we're doing. So get started now removing those limiting beliefs. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.